Hello and welcome to Make and Tain, the podcast breaking the stigma and lifting the lid on inspiring people who are making a difference. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Marietta, the founder of Cheeky Nibbles. Here's what's coming up on this week's episode. The results, I like cried and it was relief. I wasn't up, I was so relieved that I finally kind of could understand why I behaved the way I did and why so often I used to beat myself up because I didn't think the way everyone thought or I reacted extremely to things that most people wouldn't even notice was happening, like to noise or to a change of plans. Like I just felt like I was so, I would overreact to things and I just didn't understand why. And I now have so much more empathy to myself. Just before I jump into the podcast, over 60% of you don't subscribe to the podcast. So please, please make sure to click that subscribe button. The more subscribers, the bigger guests I can get on the podcast. Honestly, I appreciate all your support for everyone who tunes in every week. And if you do really enjoy the podcast, make sure to leave me a review as well. Honestly, I really appreciate it. Let's jump into the podcast with Marietta. Marietta, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know, just for a podcast, I was saying, obviously, your name is from, is it Argentina, you say? Yeah, my mum's from Argentina. So my real name's Maria Henrietta or Maria Enriqueta. And then it's kind of been smushed together to be Marietta. So was you born there or your parents born there? My mother was born there. She moved to the UK when she was around uh, 14, 15. Um, I have been there. I have ridden the horses and the estancias. Did you but love it, yeah. It's amazing, but I haven't been there in a long time, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's quite interesting when I was reading about kind of your upbringing and story, like you've lived in so many different countries. Was like traveling around at a young age with your family, was that very normal to you? I mean, I've, I have, we traveled a lot growing up um, just because my father is very passionate about traveling and that's kind of, he liked to take us, like he liked to take us with him and to explore the world. We only have lived in one other country as a family, which was in India. Um, and then after I studied at university in the UK, I moved for work to Germany. So I've only really lived in two countries outside the UK, but I've been very fortunate. I've traveled like to many different continents and experienced lots of cultures. you got like your favorite cultures. country, which is like stole your heart. Oh, you know, I mean, India will always hold a special place just because we spent so long there. And like when you're there for more than just a holiday, you immerse yourself more and it feels more like home. Um, but I don't know. I, I've had I've had some really lovely um, holidays in Europe. Like I love Spain. Um, maybe because my mother speaks Spanish, we felt like it's just easier to communicate with people that way. Um, but yeah, let's. Do you speak quite is, a few different languages then? I don't speak any languages. Yeah, I'm gonna, very I embarrassing. Was be like, I speak like Indian. Like no, I mean I can. I, my pronunciation is really bad. But I I did try and learn a Hindi phrase, but all I learned was. Um, Kiab and Grezi Samashtiha, which is probably not the right pronunciation, yeah. but it means, do you understand English? Because that's kind, yeah. of, kind of the only desperate phrase I needed to learn. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting as well. So you didn't live in all these different countries. You just, would you travel there and hold here for like a month or a couple of weeks? Yeah, exactly. So we traveled a lot. We, especially when we lived in India, we did a lot more of Southeast Asia. Um, I have never been to Australia or Sydney, so I've never been to that part of the world. Which is that I'm on def- your checklist? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with Australian MasterChef. So I have like a list of restaurants I need to go to as soon as I touch down in Melbourne or Sydney. But um, yeah, we did lots of South America, um, North America and Europe mainly actually, um, just because we're so lucky being in the UK so that we, close can, by, yeah. we can just f- 
fly over or get the train. I was wondering like what your childhood was like then when, when you was younger, did you feel like unsettled traveling all these countries? You know, cause sometimes when you settled, like obviously you have your friends and mm-hmm. like, how did you feel when you're younger, like traveling about? Um, I think it was, I think I went to boarding school at a very young age. I was around eight years old and boarding school is very routine. And, and like, I always was at the same boarding school with my siblings. And so then when I was on holiday from and back at home, we would be traveling, but home wasn't really a hundred percent home. Like I didn't go to, I, my home was my boarding school in some ways. That is so interesting. Cause I spoke to someone else about this the other day. Um, it was James and he is like a chef and he went to boarding school and I spoke to people off camera and I feel like they don't really have, a, like they don't really know where home is, yeah. which for me is like quite interesting because home for me is like Bolton. But then if yeah. they've been to boarding school and they've traveled around, it's a bit like, where do you feel like most settled? So my parents have recently like retired and moved fully to Norfolk and um, my boarding schools that I went to have all been in Norfolk mainly. Um, so Norfolk does feel like home because I went to school there and all my friends live around there and my parents happen to live there now full time. So I'm lucky in that regard, but it did make it easier. Like in the holidays, if we went for weeks on end away, um, yeah, it was just like, okay, I leave school and now we're in like Egypt or wherever we were. Um, but it was quite hard growing up, especially when I, when I moved to India, it was easier as a teenager being in India because, I didn't have the turmoil of having to start a new school because I stayed at boarding school in the UK. I had that sort of continuity okay. and I only was in India during the holidays. But you know, when you're 15 and all your friends are drinking on the beach in Norfolk yeah. partying and I like can't leave my house in Delhi without like security. Um, I felt was like- it quite dangerous there? It wasn't that it was dangerous really. Um, it was just that being a young woman that's got fair, I got a lot of attention. attention and it was hair, yeah. Yeah, so it was just hard to kind of walk around without- being with my dad and my brother, which was infuriating when you're sort of 16 and want to live your life. Yeah. I mean, imagine that kind of led into like the relationship with like food and like cuisine. I mean, did you learn a lot when you was out there? Yeah, I think definitely in India, I used to, I went to the farmers, uh, not farmers markets, went to the market markets, like Chadney Chowk, um, with, um, with like chefs and stuff. And they showed us how they choose spices and they showed us how they like make their sort of, local dishes from that but also just traveling to other countries you know when I don't speak any other languages and it's very bad of me that I don't, I'm just not very good with languages but something I've found is a great way to sort of bond with people is asking them about their culture and that's often led through cuisine you often will meet people in a restaurant or because you've been invited to someone's home for a meal and like bonding over their food learning about how they made it like it's a like grandmother's recipe it really brings people together. And that's something that I've learned to really value in like with cuisine and food. And it's why when I started my business, all the flavors are like nostalgic British flavors because I didn't want to just make like a food. I wanted it to bring people together and people to be able to tap into that kind of Britishness and nostalgia that I think connects people. Topic of like cuisine. Was that very much part of like your family? Is there like certain recipes where you're like, that reminds me of my gran or that reminds me of like certain parents? Honestly, not at all. My parents don't cook. um, And we didn't, 
we actually in some ways i think a lot of people who are foodies they have these stories of their mom giving handing down a sauce recipe and stuff like that like my mom once made coronation bean and it was inedible like i don't know what she was thinking um so i and, didn't have an influence on you and my dad cheeky nibbles. <laughs> yeah my dad's one attempt at cooking he set the oven on fire because he tried to reheat a ready meal without taking the cardboard off yeah. so like not chefs at all but because they weren't chefs and they love food they ate out a lot and when mm. we lived in london we sort of famously were known for having a fridge with just some like prosciutto and some wine in and we yeah. would just eat out at restaurants all the time and obviously that's a huge privilege to be able to afford to do that yeah. but it did mean that I grew up eating so many different cuisines and like when I think of my favorite foods growing up it's it's the um yeah like the masala from the Indian down the street or it's the eel fried rice from this old this well, it's closed now this Japanese restaurant called Koi like those are my childhood memories of food it's not like family dishes but yeah it means I've had a love of different cuisines from a very early age do you have like a favorite cuisine then would you say I like I really like spice I have a yeah. very high spice tolerance more so since leaving India just because they put chili flakes on everything, everything even yeah. like McDonald's french fries which I love you think I'll be all right with my nut allergy is everywhere just like nuts I can imagine I don't know like, no, I think yeah. in, I think there are a lot of like nut based um carries. I think you're, you're you would struggle with the cross-contamination because mm, I think massive, yeah. being able to communicate that would be difficult um but no I think my favorite cuisine at the moment is I love Vietnamese food I love the depth of flavor, I love the saltiness, but I love the freshness of the fresh herbs. I really appreciate like herbs and spices. And I think at least the Vietnamese Vietnamese food I've had in the UK has been very like delicious and fresh. I've never been to Vietnam though. So I need to go and see it for myself and have like the real cuisine. Top Asian. Yeah, I mean, my girlfriend's always saying like, you need to try Vietnamese food, but I imagine it's got, for me, it's got like nuts in. So There's I, crushed I always, like, nuts on it, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. And like peanut oil. It's, I think yeah. it is a lot of, um, a lot of Southeast Asian food use like nuts in their oils and their cooking. So it is probably quite difficult to enjoy yeah. safely. I was going to ask as well, you kind of spoke about on your website about obviously like autism and Tourette syndrome. Yeah. When did that like first kind of affect you or when did you first experience it? So, I mean, I've obviously been autistic my whole life. I was only diagnosed quite recently. Um, but it's actually my Tourette's diagnosis that led me to my autism diagnosis. I started getting tics quite late, around like 15. And it was getting progressively worse. Can they you would... explain what tics is? Because I wasn't too sure when I initially... So when I, when I first started, the tics I would get would just be like a head jerk or okay. a hand spasm or something like that. And it would get worse and worse, like a whole body shiver, like my whole body would jerk. And by the time I was 19, I was literally getting spasms and tics every 20 minutes. And I was trying to fall over and I would be on a run and I'd fall over. And um, I went to a neurologist and they were like, we think this might be a tic disorder. Um, it, it, it's a form of Tourette's syndrome. Normally um, you need to have vocal tics um, to be fully diagnosed with Tourette's you need to have vo vocal and motor tics and I just had motor tics at that time but I was starting to make sounds when I was very very anxious and stressed so it was kind of like getting worse mm. um and they gave me all these like medication options that were quite drastic but they were like it seems from what you've told us that it's worse when you're anxious and then when you're anxious and agitated that's when you get your tics and they start like compounding and getting more aggressive try and reduce your anxiety um 
and you can reduce your anxiety maybe through exercise and like a healthier diet. So I started like eating more like natural, like not like a diet diet. It was more just like healthier food. So I ate like more high fat, high protein. Like I would eat sugar, but it would be like real sugar, not like I smash yeah, bags. Of ca- sure, yeah. I used to eat like share bags of time fastics. Like I don't anymore. I used to love them. I still love them now. <laughs> so that's how I might treat on a Friday night. <laughs> I mean, they are good, but I was like, oh, I'll have like a chocolate bar that's like really well made rather mm. than like a straight sugar. Um, and yeah, I did started doing a lot of exercise and the amount of exercise I have to do each day not to get ticks is quite dramatic. Um, but it did massively help. I went from having ticks like every 20 minutes to really only getting ticks when I'm anxious and if I haven't exercised. How old was you then at that age? I was around 19 when that I kind of got... quite late on then, yeah. Yeah, but I only got started getting ticks and they were only really bad by the time I was 19. Um, but when I got the diagnosis, they said that most people with Tourette's don't have it in isolation. You normally have it with a form of either ADHD or OCD or yeah. autism. So I went... So I, I, out of interest to learn more about myself... I went through the diagnosis process and they first thought it might be ADHD, but they ruled that out. Um, and then I did the autism, um, like diagnosis, um, assessment and I did it both. I did it two or three times, one in Ireland randomly and one time in the UK and I did it with three different people and they all said I had it. So I have like the gold standard of I couldn't be more autistic according to all I mean, this. It's like a spectrum though, isn't it? Like in terms of like, people have it mild and like people might have it and not even realize they've got it right yeah I'm sure I know people which have it and they probably even don't know they've got it yeah and I I have friends now who said like oh you know when when you describe the assessment and you describe what what makes what the reasons why you sort of passed or whatever met the criteria of being autistic like I I resonate with those things and I'm like well you could go through the the assessment if you go with the NHS try get an assessment if if you want to learn more about yourself and have um and have that but it's also something that if you do have you you are autistic you would have always been autistic and it doesn't change anything and it's just to learn more about Did yourself. you have to get medication for it no no so there's no. like no medication I think for me when I finally got the like the results I like cried and it was relief I wasn't up. I was so relieved that I finally kind of could understand why I behaved the way I did and why so often I used to beat myself up because I didn't think the way everyone thought or I reacted extremely to things that most people wouldn't even notice was happening, like to noise or to a change of plans. Like I just felt like I was so, I would overreact to things and I just didn't understand why. And I now have so much more empathy to myself. Um, because yeah. I'm like, this is not something that... Was there like certain moments where you realise like, looking back like, oh, this all makes sense now? Oh my gosh, like yeah. so many times I would like cry myself to sleep because I would have said something very blunt and upset someone and I would feel so guilty and I'd tell myself like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm I'm not going <laughs> to say that or I'm not going to yeah. do that again. And I always would because it's in my nature. And I just, I used to cry. I think I'd embarrass my parents. I'd let them down and ultimately I was I wasn't being mean I was just being honest mm. um and I just couldn't help myself Has <laughs> <laughs> that got better now <laughs> I don't know I don't know I have like no filter but I I try and yeah I try and just be a bit more relaxed about things now and the big one is noise often like I can I was like having a conversation with my mom yesterday and I was on a walk with my dog I had my headphones in 
and she was cooking and I could hear this bang, bang, bang. And I could feel myself feeling sick and I could feel myself getting anxious and like wanting to get angry at her. And I said to her, like, can you please call me back after you finish cooking? Because I feel like I'm going to have an argument with you over yeah. nothing. And it's just because the noise is making me anxious. Like That's quite interesting. Five actually. years yeah. ago, I would not know why I was feeling anxious and I probably mm. would have had an argument with her and like upset her. And actually I was like, oh, it's just the noise. I know it's the noise. And it was mm. the noise. Yeah. We hung up, she called me back and we had a lovely chat. <laughs> I was like, I know I'm so much more aware of the things that can trigger me now that actually I think I'm probably a nicer person to be around. Yeah. How do you manage that anxiety now then? You mentioned like exercise. Is that like very much important in your life now to kind of keep your head of a bo- water and of to keep the ticks away as well? Yes, definitely. I think a lot of the times when things I struggle with being autistic are at their worst is when I'm anxious as well so exercise kind of helps both it is a lot of exercise and definitely you know running my own business and like having control over my schedule is a huge privilege because you know I can go I save up all my emails and all my video editing and Instagram posts for like three hours of the day where I literally walk I do like 30 to 50,000 steps easily in a day I go to the gym I mean, my minute, I think my average is around 30, but like I, I walk for hours every day and I just answer emails. If someone calls me, I'll probably be on a walk. I only do... Oh, so you don't, you never really barely sat down. Like you need to be doing this something. This is probably yeah. the longest I've sat down. Oh, really? I'm like, I'm always on the move and I only sit down and work when I have to have my laptop out. And that's like for very intense editing or creating a pitch deck or something like that. Yeah. But if I'm answering an email or I'm editing an Instagram post or I'm... Does this make you think more straight then, would you say? If you're on a walk and you're answering emails rather than being boxed away like in a room. Definitely. I, can, your head, yeah. I also think that like things go wrong in business all the time. And if I get an email that, you know, stock has arrived damaged and stuff, if I've not exercised yet, I can get very upset. And like, then I might not think with a with a straight head whereas if I've like if I'm on a walk literally on a walk yeah. I'm like okay I can deal with this I, I can process this much more better like much more easily so I know that about myself and I've built it into my schedule um and yeah I save any sort of big work that needs a laptop for the evening like 10 o'clock at night I'll be on my laptop but if it's during the day and the sun the weather's the sun is shining the weather's nice I'm lucky that I'm like yeah. okay I can go outside I can go on a walk and and do work there How's your health, like, how's your, like, mental health been then, like, I mean, setting up a business on your own as well, but even, like, before that, even, like, growing up, like, has your mental health always been okay? Because I think more people now are a bit more open to it. Definitely, like, over the last, like, five years, you find mm-hmm. that more people kind of sport, speak more openly. Definitely on TikTok now, I think everybody loves everyone yeah. being, like, vulnerable and, like, showcasing, like, the truth of self. So, I mean, how's that been for you? I think, sort of, just by fate and yeah, serendipity, the fact that I went to boarding school for most of my upbringing, it has such routine and structure because they don't want you getting into trouble. So like every yeah. single minute is like planned. And like as an autistic person, I love routine. I love structure. So I've, I found that very comforting. And I think that's probably why I was diagnosed so late because I just grew up with this inbuilt structure. And my mom yeah brought us up even when we were very little with a very strict routine because she found it easier to manage us with that so and and just since our diagnosis she talks about times when I was younger when like our routine was thrown and I would just get like huge meltdowns and be super upset and it all makes sense now um but once I left university and I started working full-time that's probably when I struggled most with my mental health because 
and a nine to five job when I couldn't really do much exercise. Um, and there was a lot of stress and I was sitting down each day and every day was different. I, I did struggle a bit there and I, I, my anxiety was quite bad. And I have, um, in the past suffered with like disordered eating and definitely like those few years after when I had like a very poor routine. In terms of like not eating at all? Yeah, it was just like, it was, it was never fully like so bad. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wouldn't eat. I just would eat very little. Um, it's kind of sometimes hard to determine, especially now when I'm trying to, I'm very passionate about sort of, sort of eating disorder recovery and challenging disordered eating thoughts and things like that. But it is hard as an autistic person being able to sort of determine, okay, is that disordered eating or is that just like a love of routine? Like I eat the same thing every day because I like routine. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, I don't want to eat that. And I'm like, is that because of an eating disorder thought or is that because I just don't want to eat something different? And I have to constantly check in with myself to make sure I'm not slipping into like bad habits. But I mean, at my worst, I used to cry if like, like I wasn't sure if, like if I ordered a Coke, like a Coke Zero at a pub and it came in a glass, I couldn't drink it because I wasn't sure if they, with the tap, they yeah. remembered it was Coke Zero. Like that is just yeah extreme. And yeah, I, I, it was bad, but that was just mental health compounding, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, I find it mad now, like everyone's like more... It's funny because I feel like some people are like so open now and it's like, there's like, I feel like there's not a line anymore where people just like share it. But I think it's also good as well because I think like people obviously like not alone now in that like kind of like situation as well. Like, cause I think mm. a lot of people suffer, but if someone they look up to like opens up about it, about how they feel, then obviously mm. they kind of feel less alone. I wanted to talk about Germany as well. Obviously yeah. you're stuck in Germany during lockdown. I mean, how was that experience? What would you do out there? So I moved to Germany. I was actually still at university when I moved to Germany. I was there on holiday and um, met uh, this man who worked for a cosmetics and oral care manufacturer out there and just interviewing him as part of my dissertation. And he offered me a job. I said, I still had to finish university. He was like, finish it remotely, fly out here next week and work for us. So Well, that fast. Yeah, so yeah. I ran my university, um, Condé Nast, and they were like, great, yeah, you can do Zoom unis whatever and yeah flew out there they set me up with an apartment and I started working full-time and then finishing my studies in the evening so it was quite a good practice run for the kind of intensity of running your own businesses Mm. like you just work all the time um so very good for time management um but yeah my job there was kind of helping brands create helping companies create brands in cosmetics and oral care uh, to meet trends and stuff. So a lot of project management and things like that. But I only kind of did that for a few months. And then um, we went into lockdown. And this manufacturer I work for is a global manufacturer. We're he- we were headquartered in Germany, but we had factories in South America, North America and China. And our factory in China, they obviously saw COVID coming. And they, the the factory manager there rang up the CEO and was like, I think we should convert our lipstick factories into medical mask batteries back in like January, like oh, wow. 20, was it 2019? I guess yeah. it's all traumatic blur. But, um, and we were like, oh, okay, well, if you think, but we, at this point we didn't think COVID was going to come to us or be yeah. a big deal. So I was like the lowest rung of the ladder. Um, and my boss was like, okay, look, the, the Chinese factory had been converted into medical masks. You're kind of in the new business development team 
but like you're the smallest fish can you just like oversee this project for us just like because no one it's, it's not really a business in yeah. Europe yet obviously it became very big business so yeah. during the pandemic I was kind of what the smallest fish having to do like one of the biggest jobs oh my God. of like, yeah, getting ge- yeah. masks into Germany and like sh- ringing up airports in Hangzhou at 2am to secure jets and getting plane seats taken out of planes to fit medical masks in. It was, insane, it was like yeah. the wild west, but incredible learning experience. And I really bonded with the team in Germany because we all pulled together and yeah. got it done. That's incredible. I mean, how was it on, I was going to ask about your mental health when you was out there as well. Like, cause you were so busy. Did you ever feel alone at any moment or missing the UK? Or was you just so busy in the work? Like you didn't really have that time to kind of like reflect. I think the, the workload was a blessing because it was a huge distraction, distraction and it was exhilarating. Like when everyone else online was bored, rightly so, cause lockdown was really boring. Mm-hmm this was like the most exciting job I'd ever done as sad as the reason why I was doing it was, it was exciting. Um, but it was very lonely. Like my, I just moved into this apartment in Germany. I didn't really know anyone, but the few people I knew I couldn't see. It was a studio apartment. So my bed and my kitchen, everything was in one room. Um, and in Germany, they had very strict lockdown rules. You couldn't leave, you couldn't be out of the house after like 6 PM. You could Mm. only go out if you were going to the shop. And so I was like desperately needing exercise for my mental health. So I, I mean, I don't know if they'll like arrest me now, but, um, cause it was technically not allowed, but I used to walk to my shop, which was like a 10 minute walk away, but I would walk like via the park, like an hour and a half circuit and end at the shop. Oh, well, but I was like, I, which is probably not allowed, but I was like, it was, I never, I was on my own. Um, and I just needed the walking, but it was really tough because I think, I had been in Germany a few months. I didn't speak the language, but I'd never felt that lonely. But then in lockdown, when you couldn't see your friends and I was going into like a Lidl or an Aldi to do my shop and I couldn't even speak to the cashier because I didn't speak German. So you couldn't even allow a small interaction just with someone. Yeah, yeah, and it was like zero interaction. I realized like I had literally not spoken to a person other than on Zoom or phone for months. I just like just I don't know it's talking insane, talking yeah. to my plant <laughs> yeah. so I think that kind of loneliness was quite traumatic so when the pandemic started winding down I was like I just I don't want to be so far from home again and that's when I started looking to move back to the UK yeah whereabouts in Germany was it I was in Stuttgart oh nice so like South Germany yeah beautiful well, part of the world been to Bremen once that was fun okay cool yeah. have you been I haven't been to Bremen but I've been I mean I've been all over I've been to Munich I've yeah. been to like Ulm and yeah Frankfurt and other places but yeah. I love Germany I think they're I love their food and they're great bakers incredible Isn't everything bakers. like fried maybe that's where it's where I went but it wasn't like really nice restaurants but like I was just there with a friend we got like 15 pound return flights oh, to okay. Bremen I mean, I think um, the food's very good. I yeah. think it's like, but I think the baking is exceptional. I was like, I mean, I'm quite a lazy baker, but I was like very shocked to discover that in German supermarkets, there's no such thing as self-raising flour. They like just don't what? believe in it. You have to like ha- get your sort of raising agents and add it yourself. <laughs> Whereas like, we're all about the sort of yeah. shortcuts here in the UK. <laughs> just like straight to it. In regards to uh, you did marketing, mm. um, I imagine that's played a massive part now in terms of obviously setting up your own brand. Is it my degree? Yeah. Was it branding and communication? Yeah. So I, well, I was originally doing like psychology and neuroscience degree at King's. 
Um, oh, wow. So completely different. Very different. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really enjoying that, to be honest. It wasn't really my vibe. <laughs> I think it was quite scientific, obviously. And um, I just, the only parts of the degree I enjoyed was when we touched upon um, the psychology behind like buying and marketing yeah. and things like that. So I was like, I think I want to do a marketing degree. I'm more interested in that sort of thing. So then I went and moved to Condé Nast and did a media and communication degree, which was amazing because it's so practical. As a college, you don't really sit exams. You obviously write your dissertation, but it's very project-based. And then now setting up my business, like I learned how to build a website because I learned it at Condé Nast. I learned how to design packaging and logos because I learned it at my uni. Yeah. I learned how to like project manage at my uni to organize a, to sort of, creatively direct and mood board for a photo shoot at my university and I don't know many courses that are so practical that you're ready to go once so you, you kind leave. of give you them skill sets so when you actually went out in the real world you was like oh 100 didn't feel as like nerve-wracking it's like, like yeah, the best yeah. the best decision I ever made was to was to go there yeah, yeah. I yeah I I use skills I learned there how many years the was it was it like one of two three years maybe? it was no. a three-year degree condensed into two so you leave with a bachelor's degree but yeah. it's like two years so it's very intense yeah um not many holidays but I think I was lucky like I loved every single module and it didn't really feel like work like I've I used to struggle a bit like leaving things to the last minute because I wasn't interested in the subject mm. I never had that issue there because I just like was engaged and would just work Shit, throughout yeah, yeah. the throughout the module from the get-go did you know while she was doing the course that you wanted to set up your brand no. Oh, did you? No, you had no idea, no. No, I thought I wanted to go work for like a cosmetics company. Um, and actually, even when I moved back to the UK after Germany, I wasn't 100% sure I wanted to set up my own business, but I had a little bit of a taste of building brands for other people. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to build a brand for myself. And then I was looking at the job market at the time and I was like, well, there's not many jobs out there at the moment. It's yeah. not a great time to be out of work. And I very fortunately was paid very well in Germany and being stuck in a studio apartment, I spent no money. Yeah. So I had quite a lot of savings. It's not like you was going out, like if you didn't know anyone. Oh my yeah. God, no. I mean, I would treat myself to like endless tubs of ice cream because oh, I was like, really? the most expensive Ben and Jerry's because I was like, I might as well spend it on something. But um, no, I I, um, I was like, oh, I, have all the, I have really good savings. I have not really many responsibilities now is as good a time as any. And that's when I started really thinking about what kind of business I wanted to build. Why did you tap into granola then? Was that something you used to have when you were younger? Or? Not really. No. Um, I was making granola for myself because I exercise a lot and I like needed something to like fill me up at the end of the day because I would get very ravenous after all my exercise. And I just yeah. really enjoyed like yogurt and granola. But I found like most granolas quite boring all very like crumbly and dry so I was like started making my own uh, granola that was like really chunky but it was all very plain flavored yeah. um but like very plain flavored granola it was more when I decided I want to start my own business I had worked in cosmetics and I knew that really to be a cosmetics brand you would instantly have to like find a manufacturer just because of like the protocols in place for hygiene yeah. and stuff food is one of the amazing industries that you can start at home and like, I wasn't that brave and I only had so much money. I was going to say the whole, the overheads must be a lot lower than within food that the fact like you can do it from your own kitchen. When yeah, you start off. definitely. Yeah. I think just like I was a bit nervous and I maybe was lack of faith in myself, but I only had so much money and I was like, I really want to invest this money in the branding. So I need to start at home with the baking. Um, so I just 
I just did a lot of research, tried to find a gap in the market. I already was making granola that I knew was unique because I couldn't find chunky granola anywhere. What is, I don't think I've ever had granola. Okay, so granola is normally like, do you know what muesli is? Like (laughs) oats and raisins and boring stuff. Yeah, Um, kind kind of. And it's quite interesting because I know you've like spoke about like granola that a lot of the time, like they're never nut free. And I think that's the reason I've never had it. Well, that's Um, probably why, because there really wasn't a nut-free granola. I was making my granola nut-free by chance because I have friends and family with nut allergies. So when I started looking at gaps in the market, I knew my product was unique because it was big, that you could snack on it. And that was the point, because that's what I was doing with it. And that's why I started baking them really big. But then I was like, oh, actually, it's also nut-free and there isn't a nut-free granola. That's another USB. Oh my gosh, if if I, instead of doing plain flavors... I did some nostalgic flavors that would tap into this retro food trend that's emerging out of COVID and everyone wanting nostalgia. So I started adding in USPs to a product I was already making. So when people ask me like, oh, did you just like decide to turn your love of baking into a business? It's sort of 50-50. I very much approached Cheeky Nibble with a branding brain and a business brain. But it was something I was making already. And I was making it nut-free just because, yeah, I did, we didn't... Where did the inspiration come from, like, the nostalgia? Like, where did, did you have loads of different ideas in terms of what, what you could add to the granola? Well, I, I just didn't... I was looking at the aisles in Tesco and supermarkets and I was like, everything here is, like, raisin, like, sugar, just plain maple, honey, cinnamon. Like, yeah. it was all very, like, nice flavours. I'm not saying they're not delicious, I was like, oh, just with a bit of a branding twist. I'll just like put a little bit of effort in and let's make a cherry bakewell one. Let's make a Victoria sponge one. Like, why can't it be fun? Yeah. You know, there's biscuits. Like McVitie's was launching sticky toffee pudding biscuits and yet we still had raisin granola. I was like, we need yeah. to get with the times. <laughs> so, with it, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just started adding extra USPs. And when I was already nut free, it kind of just made sense to evolve and get rid of more allergens because like, my whole point was to be on a mission to spread joy through food because food has brought me so much joy. And how can I do that when there's people that can't enjoy it because they have a dietary restriction? I have like friends or family members with like nut allergies as well. So I have family members with like intolerances and allergies and family members with nut allergies. But actually it was a friend of mine in Germany who had a very serious nut allergy that really kind of opened my eyes to how serious it was he was telling me he kept like I always knew he had a nut allergy and then he went on a business trip to another country and was in a restaurant and he told them he had a nut allergy he had his translation they were like yeah yeah, yeah it's fine 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 um and basically what happened was is he started having reaction because they had cut his loaf of bread with the same knife as they cut a walnut walnut loaf of bread and he started having a reaction in front of like his this board of these like um, clients of his his first reaction was embarrassment which breaks my heart because he was like yeah. I didn't want to cause a scene which I think is the most British thing ever it's so British I like, know because so, you're so worried what other people think right? but when you're like if you think you're gonna die like yeah so he was like I then had yeah. to like literally pull his trousers down in the middle of the restaurant and use his EpiPen yeah. and I was like okay that's a really traumatic and horrible story but what really struck me is that the months and months afterwards was his recovery he was in hospital for a few days and even like four months later things he wasn't allergic to he still could, would have digestive issues because of how bad his reaction was oh my God. and I I was a bit naive I kind of like naively thought that you you and maybe it is the case sometimes that you use your EpiPen and then you're like yeah right it's rain but the long-term effects and it's like every reaction you have 
it can cause lasting damage to your like, immune system and your digestive system. And I was like, obviously the reaction and the risks are high in the moment as well, but there's such chronic distress to your body when you have allergens that it, it just seemed like something really important. And if I, if I could create a product that was safe for people to enjoy, mm-hmm. it felt like something that would add value to the world. Yeah, it's just so scary as well. Cause like you hear people like can get like brain damage from going into anaphylaxis and it like yeah. reduces oxygen. Yeah. If you can't breathe, then it's going to reduce oxygen to the brain. So and I was just saying before the podcast, like, I had a full on like panic attack from fish and chips. Out of yeah. Everything. Just the day to day anxiety. Yeah, just like it experience. doesn't really happen, but I just thought my neck was swollen up and then started like panicking. And like mm. my girlfriend and her friends had to like take me off the edge and was like, no, just like do box breathing. So like try and like calm myself down, but it, it, it's well, mad. Isn't it? And yeah. I think what you're saying, like the anxiety people with allergies and you have like around food, if I can create a product that people can eat and not feel worry yeah. and be able to eat and not get a panic attack because they know it's safe. That's really important to me because yeah. I want people to have a cheeky nibble and feel joy, not feel anxiety. Yeah. And I thought it was quite interesting. Did you start off? So you started off in your, in your kitchen and then did you move to, is that an RAF base? Yeah. So I started off my parents' kitchen and um, it was tough. Like we had an oven that didn't work. So what a, a tray of granola takes 20 minutes to bake, but every five minutes I have to turn it around. Otherwise it would burn in one corner. And I was like, this is not feasible long-term. Um, and I got into quite a large stockist called Bailey and Sage in my parents' kitchen in the first two weeks. Wow. Two and weeks. I, yeah. So I was like, oh. and because I think the thing is, is I invested so much time and energy and money to make the boxes look really professional. I wanted to ask about that because the branding is amazing. Oh, and I found you. out about Cheeky Nibbles. I was at the Free From Food Awards. And oh, okay. we won like so many awards. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> I but the know. Branding, I, and I couldn't see, go. It was so embarrassing. The branding like stood out and I was like, the branding's like amazing. Um, I love like the, the illustrations. It's got character to it. Like yeah. it's not like your typical like granola packaging. Yeah. Where did that come from? Is that inspiration obviously from the court? So I heard that. Did you do it yourself originally? Yeah. So, I mean, I... I always loved cartoons growing up and drawing cartoons. I was like a prolific illustrator. Yeah. So when I first started, I like hand drew on paper all my box designs and stuff. And then, you know, from my degree, I, I was quite good at Adobe Illustrator designing packaging. I did my best, but I just couldn't draw my pencil drawings digitally. They just looked terrible. Yeah. So I then searched Instagram and found a guy in Mexico who is an incredible illustrator. And I DM'd him and I was like, can you please like draw my pencil drawings digitally and send them back to me for my packaging? And he like agreed. Obviously I paid him. Um, he's yeah. lovely, but he was, it was quite funny. Did he add his own twist to it as well? Well, he, he definitely added his style to it, but his yeah. style was very like manga inspired, which is what I like drawing. So our styles were kind of quite like Somewhere, compatible yeah. in that sense. So when he, when the drawings came back, they were 10 times better than I could ever have done. Yeah but they were very similar to my pencil drawings, but I could never have done that digitally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, trying to explain to a Mexican man in Spanish what a banoffee pie was, was intriguing. I had yeah. to like write, send him all these like descriptions so he knew what he was drawing. So has he done all your illustrations since? So, well, he, he hasn't done any since because I only, I still have only the four flavors. Okay. But yeah, like the boxes I have are the boxes I launched with. So when I, once I, once I, message or emailed a buyer at Bailey and Sage and was like, do you want to try this? It was, it didn't look like it came from a kitchen. It looked like it came yeah. from a proper bakery. Um, 
So did you just send the products over to them? Yeah, I just sent them some boxes of like, oh, if you want to stop me. And they're like, yeah, we'll take like so many hundred boxes. And I was like, okay, well, like now I need to upscale because... I, I can't do this at home anymore. So then Did I... Did you have enough time to like do it? Because I spoke to like Julianne as well, where she got stocked in, um, I think it was like Astro or somewhere. And she was like, it was insane. Like there was like the whole family like trying to do all oh these gosh, orders. I mean, and then like the stress of it was like unbelievable. I think so something with some, a supermarket like Asda, you probably would have such a tight turnaround. With like yeah. Bailey and Sage, it is like a chain of delis and farm shops. So it was a little bit more relaxed. And I was like, okay, I can get that stock to you in like a month's time because I can build it up. And in that month's time, I was also investing the last of my savings to renovate an abandoned fire station into a into a bakery. Yeah, You're not in there anymore? You... Yeah, so I... Oh, you are still in there? No, no, no. So I, I was there. So within two, within like a month of starting my business in my parents' kitchen, I moved into my new bakery but I had commercial equipment that I bought secondhand from the army. So instead of baking like 10 boxes a day, I could bake like a hundred boxes a day, but yeah. by myself, like I was still doing it by myself every day. Yeah. And I was like that for two years. And then literally in the last month or so, I've moved to a large bakery in Lancashire, which is like a dedicated nut, peanut and tree nut free site, which is hard to find. I was going to ask find. you about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard that, to find. Yeah. So no. many people I've spoke to, it's like, it's so hard to like find it. And then for somewhere to actually guarantee it's completely like yeah. nut free as well. Because um, I think I spoke to someone else in the podcast. A lot of these places, like they don't have the certificates to say the factory is like nut free. Then it's like, well, you should have to make contain on it. And yeah, it yeah. gets a bit tricky, really. It does get tricky. I think as well, like it's with the, with the, yeah, like I, I was for the last two years, I basically was baking every day by hand myself, like 50 to hundred boxes in my bakery in Norfolk. But within a year, I kind of was like, I'm done with this. I want to find a contract manufacturer, but it took me a year to find one that had capacity. And to be honest, they barely do. I think other clients of theirs had to kind of persuade them to take me on and beg them to, because they were at max capacity. Um, So I was very lucky in that sense, but it just took me so long. And I found some peanut and tree nut free sites but they were like in australia which is not feasible yeah all they're in europe and when i dug in deeper their definition of a nut free site is different to my definition of a nut free site you know so just like yeah. the anxiety i had that i would not i would mislabel my boxes because i was told it was nut free but what they mean by nut free is that they have a different line not a different building you know like yeah and I, I was same, so yeah. anxious about any miscommunications with different legislation with like uk versus like Romania or Poland yeah. or Germany or that I was like I really want to find something in the UK and also I am a British brand I have British flavors I want to be in yeah. I want to be made in Britain Keep it in the UK yeah I mean how many boxes can they pump out a week now is it like a lot more than what you was doing in the RAF <laughs> I mean I think theoretically is a lot more I still kind of I make in a day what I would in a month and I do kind of like monthly production runs yeah. um I guess they could do more but then they're also like they're at very max capacity so getting in production days is also hard yeah I mean that's incredible so where so what's kind of next now obviously that's kind of took the stress away from yourself in regard to baking all the kind of um, the granola like all day long like can you really concentrate that effort then on like the branding and marketing is that where your day is different now would you say yeah so I'm much more focused on like I really want to grow D to C like it's obviously always amazing if you can get into a big supermarket and stuff but I love the community that I've connected with with Cheeky Nibble and the DMs I get and the messages I get and I I really want to grow my D2C brand and and like 
build a community that is just about loving life and indulgence and enjoying a cheeky novel. Yeah. Um, so I'm very focused on like social media and I'm trying to like actually post because I was very, very bad at posting consistently because I was just baking the whole time. Um, and I'm also actually redesigning the packaging. So I'm working oh, with really? an agency for the first time. Um, so the branding and the illustrations will stay the same, but you know, I did it myself and I'm not a professional and I'm, I'm sure it can be elevated um, is it tenfold. Gonna get, is it going to change a lot or are you going to keep it? Because I think I love the style of it as it is, but are you going to like keep the main core of the branding? But Definitely going to keep yeah. the, the illustrations, the branding, the soul of the brand is going to stay the same. Yeah. It will just be like reconfiguring it so it just is a bit more eye grabbing and stuff. Because if I ever do get onto a shelf, I need to stand out with my neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Make people grab the cheeky nipple box. Not You're going to bring out more the different flavors then? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I want to bring out more flavors. I want to bring out like mini boxes so people can have it on the go. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. But it's all about, yeah, like getting it pre workout snack for the gym. Exactly, yeah. a pre workout snack. There you go. Yeah. Um, and like in terms of like sales, it's been insane, hasn't it? Like the growth of it over the last like, year or two years you could say yeah it's definitely like I think it doubled in from first year to second year it's also kind of interesting to see I'm very excited to see where I'll be this time next year because like really the first when I first moved to the bakery and I was baking myself like 100 bucks a day I was already fulfilling that like I there was a very it was a very lean business model yeah. so I didn't really grow that much in the last two years because I was sort of hindered by how much I could make. Yeah. So I had like people asking, can we stock you? And I said, well, no, because I can't, I haven't got capacity to bring on a new stock. I had a little bit of a wait list, but I am excited now. Cause like I can push it and theoretically, hopefully the sky's yeah. the limit. So there has been good growth, but I haven't really, I mean, I didn't actively reach out to a stockist for like eight months, which is not what you should be doing when you're trying to grow a business yeah. that you should be doing sales. So um, yeah, I'm excited to actually like, work on the business not like every day in it how's it been being like a solo founder then um even being a woman as well I've had Julianne on the podcast where people just didn't take it seriously and like yeah and she was like finding investments um I mean how's that been for you is it something you've experienced or well I think I, I'd be interesting to see I am hoping obviously down the road once I've kind of established the business a bit more to look to raise and It'll be interesting to see what my experience is that is then. I have heard from so many founders how difficult it is as a woman to get investment. Because I'm self-funded and I like invested my own money, I haven't had that kind of experience yet. Yeah. So being a woman hasn't really felt like a disadvantage. I have noticed speaking to some certain people in the industry, they're not taking me that seriously or underestimating me. But it's often that worked out to off. my yeah, yeah, yeah. well. It pisses me off internally, but it often works out to my favour because they either underestimate me and they don't see me coming, and then I win. Over, I yeah. win the competition or something, yeah. or they like will sort of throw me a bone and offer me help for free, and I'm like, yeah. well, I'm beggars can't be choosers. I'll take any help I can get. Yeah, so yeah. if someone underestimates me and then wants to like help me, I mean, as annoying as the reason may be, I I'll take help. I'm not I'm not above any help yeah, I can yeah. get. I know, I should put touch with like Julianne, obviously the founder of Creative Nature. Yeah, she's lovely. And then the other day I had Amy on the podcast who has set up, oh my God, my mind's gone blank. Grow with Iris. Okay. So she she's actually looking for funding at the minute as well. So 
she might be able to help out. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. Like, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, yeah, it's it's actually quite fascinating how she got started. And like, she was saying like she had like um, one company was going to give her a hell of a lot of money, but they wanted too much of like a percentage. Yeah. So she was like, it just wasn't worth it. I think it it also depends what you need. Because like, obviously money can, can get you far. But if as a solo founder, one thing I really struggle with is just not having really a sounding board to bounce off like if I have an idea I just I, I just wish I had someone that could be like is this a good idea to sort of to go through problems with together to problem solve together that's equally invested yeah. and you can just get money but do you want just like cash or do you want people who are emotionally invested in your business they want to get stuck in they want to give their opinion and give you advice a lot of founders want people completely hands-off because they don't want their meddling which is also another route yeah. but I don't know I, I I'm lonely. I want someone to kind of care as much as I do, which is yeah. hard to find. I spoke with Julianne about that. She said only recently, like she's got like a board now with like people, which um, obviously not part of the brand, but not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're like really high up in the they're like consultants kind of thing. Yeah. So she consults with these different people and she's got like challenges. It's always good to get more opinions, yeah. I think. And she says like, I want to do that when I'm older as well. So she was like saying like, she's in a position where she's like hopefully in the next five ten years hopefully I can like consult and help other people oh my gosh yeah well she's got great feedback I mean I chat to her quite often and she always has really good advice so have you heard of Wetsy's Treats as well yes yeah do you know he sold his business yeah I saw that recently it's amazing because I I remember seeing them at the Allergy Free From show and I don't I was so surprised because I such a quick turnaround Yeah, because I had him on the podcast like just after COVID, and we 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 spoke and stuff, and we we stayed in touch. And he's a really nice guy. Then I saw I saw it on LinkedIn, and I was like, "What? Like you sold it? Like maybe? I mean, some some if a lot someone of, offers you a lot of money, and then like why yeah, not? and some yeah. entrepreneurs, I guess they start things because they want to scale and sell them because they have they want to start something else. I mean, everyone's sort of reasons behind their business is different, um, but yeah, it is it is quite funny. I I often. I think about this new phase for, for me and my business, like now that I'm not baking anymore and I, I'm i like not in Norfolk and really I just have to sort of focus on sales and marketing and building the brand. Like it is kind of my dream, but it also taps into my weaknesses a lot more. Like what is a huge blessing being autistic is like the love of routine. And I don't think many people could bake every day by themselves a hundred boxes without going insane, yeah. but I loved it. I like found it very therapeutic and that's why I survived two years doing it. Um, and things I struggle with more is like having the social battery to like network and go out and do sales. So it is something I, I am in some ways, like I find it harder being this version of me than the faker, but it's also, this is the person I need to be. So I'm trying really hard, but it, yeah, it is difficult because there's so many opportunities in London to network and meet people, but I, I hold my fast. I know I'm holding myself back, but it's also I need to have those boundaries. Like I can't go out and do three events in a day because I'll be tapped. Absolutely drain you. Yeah, it yeah. would just completely drain me, and I wouldn't perform. Not perform, but I wouldn't project the best version of myself. Yeah. What's next then for Cheeky Nibbles? Like obviously you've got four flavors. Are you going to bring out more in the near future? I hope so. I'm going to have to beg the manufacturer to let me add another favor um i think a couple of production runs that we can really streamline the process make it as efficient as possible and then i'll see if i can like add another flavor in and it not be too much admin or work yeah. but i have such a backlog of like a, of flavors i have a, such a little archive of recipes yeah. that you know i make for myself in like small batches and my family love 
and I just want to share them so desperately but in amazingly like having a manufacturer it opens up so many possibilities but the kind of being able to just chuck in another flavor is more difficult and also you know I have I have to draw the boxes which take time because I still will have to hand draw and then send it to Mexico. Oh, really? it back. Get so him like, to do it again. So that's like, like the whole stress of like trying to translate that. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, this is an apple crumble. Or this is a Jaffa cake. Whatever yeah, I'm yeah. trying to get them to make. Yeah. I wanted to touch upon like for anyone who's maybe like thinking about like setting up their own business and stuff. Like how did you go about? Obviously like you've won so many different awards. Mm. Um, but also like mentorship as well. How did you go about that? So, I mean, especially, yeah, starting it in Norfolk in a tiny village, there wasn't many people around I could sort of get help from. So I very early on did apply to a lot of grants and awards. And I think if you're thinking of starting your own business, don't be intimidated to reach out to people. Like it, it takes time to kind of learn this, but definitely two years in, I'm so much braver just like DMing someone on, on LinkedIn or Instagram being like, hi, can I pick your brain about this? Because yeah. people want to help. And then even like grants, like I had like, I was making granola, right? And this guy came up to me at the Allergy Free From show and was like, oh, this product's really unique. Try and apply to an Innovate UK grant. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure like granola, like what yeah. am I going to do? But the deadline was a week later. So I did a very quick application which really should take months but I just really just like stayed up until like three in the morning did an application yeah. sent it in and I got the grant I got the grant I've had oh a year's membership with Innovate UK and they are amazing like the mentorship has been invaluable like I would if I could pick the grant money or the mentorship I would take the mentorship every single day just especially yeah. the solo founder like being able to talk to someone every week and then to connect you with people is so helpful but like if I had taken my initial reaction and been like you're just making granola and everyone else applying to this grant is like building fuelless airplanes and bionic yeah. arms which they are like yeah. my cohort is incredible um really incredible makes me feel a bit silly making granola <laughs> but um you know I got it because I'm doing something different and there's they wanted to have a broad range of projects so don't like under don't, under, don't undervalue yourself or yeah, yeah. your business because you are doing something special. I'm sure a lot of people are that where they're just like, they've got an idea and they're, oh, they're, they're working on something and they're like, oh no, like, maybe it's not that good. But it yeah. is, like if you put it out in the world and like people like and it. And also like, be honest, I've met a lot of founders recently who they haven't told their friends or family that they've, they, they've quit their job or that they're starting the business because they don't want to be judged. But I'm like, if you're not, yeah. if you're not convinced that your business is going to be success, it won't be. You have to believe, believe it, it yeah. almost like, I don't know, delusionally (laughs) you just have to believe it like almost manifest it yeah in a way no it's been amazing to have you on the podcast if you want to share your kind of cheeky nibbles like handles or website would you like to share that with me oh yeah so if you want a cheeky nibble you can go to www.cheekynibble.com or check us out on instagram at at cheeky underscore nibble or watch embarrassing videos of me on TikTok at cheeky underscore nibble yeah, as well. I'll make sure to check that out. <laughs> anyway, thanks again so much for coming on the podcast. It's been Thank a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thank me. You.